Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Hi guys, I'm Amy, and today we're joined by a special guest, Mia Kasesa. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on. So my name is Mia, and I was adopted from China, from Nanjing in the Jiangsu province in 1996. And... Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of info around my adoption. Um, I just have some of those basic facts. Nice. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you um, for letting me on this podcast. I've never been on a podcast before. Hey, first time. That's okay. We have a lot of first time podcast people come on and I don't know. It's fun just like talking to people, getting to hear everybody's stories. That's what I like most about it. Yeah, I, I like podcasts for that reason too. <laughs> awesome. So I wanted to ask you, um, as an Asian adoptee or just in general, what was it like growing up for you? Um, for me, I grew up in New York and I feel like my upbringing was maybe a little bit unusual. I haven't been involved in the adoptee community for very long. It's only been very recently that I've been looking into adoption and sort of my feelings around that in different communities on that topic. Mm -hmm. um, I really grew up kind of, kind of isolated from communities in general. I was a pretty shy kid and... Growing up, I never really attributed any of my problems to being adopted. I always knew that I was adopted, but it was just sort of like another fact about myself, something as mundane as having black hair, let's say. Like I never, it's like, yeah, I'm adopted. There was just no other kind of thoughts or feelings around that that I was aware of. Mm -hmm. That makes um, sense. Yeah, because I didn't... Um, grew up around any adoptees I didn't even I didn't even have any Asian friends growing up because I, I had a hard time relating to the Asian Americans in my high school mm -hmm. um, I just I don't know they all seemed very different than me and it was hard for me to be around them because I usually didn't know what they were talking about oh <laughs> uh, I yeah I can definitely relate to that I feel like there's so much to like the culture of being like growing up in an Asian household that if you're not around it it's like a whole other language like a culture shock almost yeah that's that's exactly what it was um and I was sort of friendly with them but I never became friends with them I guess I always felt kind of like an outsider um mm. like I just didn't feel like I belonged and my main group of friends in high school was like a group of white friends or my group of uh, African-American friends. Mm. Um, those were the two groups I actually related to the most. Okay. Was adoption something that you talked about a lot or you were open about? You mentioned it was kind of like just another one of the, the facts of life, if you will, for you. Uh, no, I have very seldom talked about being adopted to anyone. Um, the thing about my family is that uh, I grew up with a lot of dysfunction in my household and there was just a lot of chaos growing up in, in my home. And that's why I kind of moved far away for college because I really wanted to get away from that situation. I'm sorry and, to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. I, as an adult, I feel like 
I have a more, I guess, grounded view of things. Because uh, when you're younger, things are more intense. Um, right. But uh, yeah, it's just, it, I only started thinking about adoption and my identity and like early childhood trauma after I read um, Primal Wound, which is a book about adoption and about early childhood trauma. And I'm, I've always been really into psychology and sociology, but I've never read research around like adoption trauma and that sort of thing. And when I read that book, it's sort of um, something like clicked in my mind. And I was like, oh, that makes sense, actually. <laughs> like it explained a lot of things that I had felt and it really opened my eyes to sort of the behaviors that I had and the feelings that I had growing up. And of course, like anyone who grows up in a dysfunctional home has tons of emotional baggage. But I feel like I never really thought about how being an adoptee, being a transnational and transracial adoptee impacted me as well. I've definitely heard really good things about, good is like a strong word, but how that book can really open up a lot of people's emotions and really connect on a level of things that you didn't really think about. I definitely, I'll have to read that sometime because I've, it's come up a couple of times in the podcast. How long ago did you read the book? It's, it was a number of years ago. My um, sort of exploration of my identity as adoptee has been sort of this gradual thing over a number of years. It really started when um, I discovered some YouTube blogger, vloggers, like Asian YouTube vloggers. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, and I used to watch, and I still watch a ton of YouTube, but uh, stumbling onto their content, uh, like there was um, this channel that was from New York and they talked about uh, Asian identity and Asian culture. And I was just like, wow, I didn't even know that this was something that I wanted in my life. <laughs> like, you know, I was so um, disconnected from my identity, even as an Asian American. And I feel like I'm sure other adoptees feel that way, too. Yeah, for sure. Did your family, did you guys ever do anything to like talk about or celebrate even your Chinese heritage? Or was that not really something that your family did? Um, when I was younger, I vaguely remember, I think we were a part of like a Chinese adoptee community. I remember going to a church sometimes on Christmas and being around like other adoptee families. But I guess either we didn't keep up with them or... Or something like that, because I don't, I don't even remember talking to any of the other adoptee girls. Um, so it must have been very brief. And my mom told me that she enrolled me in a Chinese school when I was younger, like very young. But apparently, I crossed my arms and refused to listen to the teacher. Oh, oh no! <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds like something I would do. And <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. I'm sure I had tons of like trauma that I couldn't verbalize or something. Yeah. Especially when you're so little, you just you just have emotions and you don't really understand like what they are, what they mean, or that they might not be like the average emotions a child is going through. Yeah, I just you know after reading that book I realized that like trauma is nonverbal and it's like bodily and some things you just can't 
like express even as an adult it's hard to express and um and i think it made me realize why i was always sort of uncomfortable around asian americans growing up like they always made me uncomfortable um like i just and i didn't understand why i felt uncomfortable why i didn't like being around them mm-hmm. growing up i didn't want to be perceived as asian like i never ate with chopsticks chopsticks or you know i i didn't want to do or wear certain things that would be construed as too asian <laughs> yeah i don't know i just had these deep seated feelings that i didn't i just didn't understand yeah that sounds very like tumultuous internally for you yeah um my upgrade upbringing was definitely very tumultuous um and I've been in therapy since I was a child. I've been on medications for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as an adult, I've sort of, I think I've come to like, a, I've definitely come to a better pay, place than when I was in high school, let's say. Mm-hmm. I think being away from the dysfunction of my fa- family has helped a lot. Mm-hmm. And now as an adult, I feel like I can sort of reapproach like my relationship with my siblings um and sort of reassess uh, my feelings around my mom because there's a lot of angst around that mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing yeah so you mentioned the the book was a really big turning point that helped you kind of understand your feelings inside and kind of help you with your identity were there anything or any other things that you feel helped you kind of understand what you were going through yeah different life experiences um i remember joining um china's children international on facebook for the first time a couple years back and and just reading through the posts and seeing different people express the things that i've always felt was really cathartic in a way that i didn't know that i needed like just the different questions that popped up, like all the topics that we've discussed, like I feel like they're so um, unique and specific to our demographic. And Mm -hmm. it's hard, I think, for other groups of people to understand where you're coming from. Um, And yeah, just being exposed to that group a little was helpful. And funnily enough, during this quarantine, I've been reading, involved in like different uh, Facebook groups, Discord chats, like Zoom calls. And I know there's like this feeling of like discovery and belonging that comes with that. And the first step for me was reaching out to this podcast because I feel like there was so much that I've never been able to express before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this community allows me to express things that I just, A, I just never thought were important or I didn't think impacted me in any way. But I think they always have because um, I've had like this growing curiosity around all these topics for a couple of years now. And it's always sort of something in the back of my mind, but it's always like, it's always there. That makes sense, especially, I mean, I know I'm 25, so, like, I I know I'm not, like, one of the oldest, but I also know I'm not one of the youngest. I feel like that 
desire to understand and learn, if you don't explore it at a young age, it doesn't go away. It just kind of gets even more intense. At least for me, it did. Like, it's it's something that like is just like it like it's like an itch you can't scratch. You know what I mean? Like, you just need yeah. to like, yeah. go down that rabbit hole of adoption and like understand it more. That's like exactly what it it is. It feels like a pull or something. Like you just can't resist wanting to know mm-hmm. um, because there's just so much that you know Chinese adoptees in particular don't know about their own adoption and I read um, a book One Child I forgot who the author was but mm-hmm. it w- it's a very disturbing book about the one child pos- policy mm-hmm. and just sort of all the chaos and just the horrible things that happen to people because of that policy yeah. and like the confusion around adoption and how you know it's possible that a lot of adoptees are are trafficked children and you know there's there's a lot of really dark stuff there yeah and it was like that book was really hard to read honestly it was like I had to really force my way through it because it was so dark sometimes yeah. um just because I was like, oh, that's like not a realization that I've had before. Like, not only do I not know how old I am, where I really come from, who my parents are, what my name is, but I might also have been trafficked. <laughs> yeah, I know I have not read the book, but we've talked about the uh, the One Child Nation uh, documentary. And that in itself, like, kind of blew my mind away. I can't only imagine, like... I'm sure reading it in book form is a whole other level of like intensity and stuff with all of that. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, I watched that documentary too. And it's just like, it's really emotionally intense to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's like no other group of people I can talk to about my feelings on that. Yeah. And I do have a therapist, and I have a really great therapist, but I guess it's like, it's not really the same um, right. when you're talking to someone who doesn't understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I remember I was telling, I have a couple adopted friends. They're just not adopted from China. Um, I was telling them a little bit about, you know, oh, like I might want to search for my birth parents. And one of them was like, oh, well, like, was it an open or closed adoption? And I was like, like that question, it's such a normal question to ask somebody who's adopted. But I like, almost wanted to like laugh, like not in a mean way, just like, oh, I wish it was that simple. Like in China, that, that didn't need like, that's not a thing. That's not even a thought. It's just, it's, it's a completely different world that you're entering in as opposed to like any other kind of adoption situation. Yeah, it's just so strange, because I mean, the documentation is either not there, fabricated, missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just all these questions and questions of like identity and heritage and like nationality, ethnicity, like right. there's all these overlapping complex questions. And I guess I just wanted to reach out to other people who had those same questions. I'm really glad you did. I think it's, especially in quarantine, we've built as like an adoptee community so many more like opportunities to connect and so many more ways to hear each other's voices that like out of 
of all the things to happen in quarantine, that's one of the things that I'm eternally grateful for is just the, the support that we've built for each other in this time. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, being on a few Zoom calls with adoptees was really interesting and fascinating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, hey, these people are like me. That's cool. Yeah. One of the things I really like about the Zoom calls is you can go from, you can be in a breakout room and talk, be talking about like, you know, a food challenge um, or, you know, the most random stuff. And then, you know, the next minute you can be talking about, you know, some, some heavy stuff and it all feels natural in a way. It just, and it feels easier to talk to with the people on the calls, at least for me. Yeah, I just find that Yet on those Zoom calls, I just found I had so much to say, and I really enjoyed hearing what everyone else felt about things as well. And it felt like, I don't know, it felt validating in a way that I didn't know I needed to be validated. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, so I I wanted to sort of share uh, my experiences with my journey of discovering myself, I guess. Um, and mental health has definitely been like a huge, huge part of that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, of course, mental health is already like a very dense topic. But, you know, you kind of add in, you know, cultural diaspora and angst about your ethnicity and like, mm -hmm. where you were born, like, Adoption just adds all these, uh, just adds so many layers to problems that everyone else has already. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more about cultural um, dysphoria that you mentioned? Yeah, you know, um, in thinking about like race, I know like during these times, race is a big topic now, but that's something I... I feel like I've always been aware of because the group that I identified with in high school, uh, they were like the advanced placement, like honor students. And mm -hmm. there was a handful of them. They were um, African-American, Haitian. And I really related to this group because they always talked about how they didn't fit in with their white peers, but they didn't fit in with their black peers because they valued like education more. So they mm -hmm. kind of talked about like these dual identities and not quite fitting in. And I think that's why I related to them because it's like, you know, it's like people, I mean, I've been told that I'm like a white girl and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I always like, hated that. It's like really an annoying. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I know I act white. I can't really help it. My parents are white. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Um, <laughs> and that's always been something growing up as a kid. I wasn't, I wasn't aware that I was different until other kids pointed it out. Mm. Like, you know, yeah. if in elementary school, let's say people would be like, oh, is that your mom? And they'd point to some Asian lady and I'd be like, no. People and, always thought I was related to the other Asian kid in class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They always assume like you're related. So when other people, other people always seem to bring up why I'm different. Like I remember one girl in high school was like, oh, you're really dark for an Asian. And I was like, what? okay. Oh, 
Thanks. Cool story. Like, what? Who's that? <laughs> she was, air quotes, my friend. She was actually a shitty friend. Um, <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, it doesn't sound like much of a fan. No offense, but. <laughs> she was like, you're the darkest Asian I've ever seen. And I'm like, you don't notice the Filipino Asians in the school? Like, what are you talking about? Gosh. I don't know. Like, people mm-hmm. just kind of always brought up things that made me feel like. I didn't belong there. Like they always just said things like, oh, your eyes are so small, you know, that kind of thing. It's like little jabs that make you feel like an other when you're just like, you're just a person. Yeah, it's like, I mean, even, and I had a terrible high school experience. My high school was really awful. Um, But but yeah, it's like, I mean, even teachers would be like, oh, can you talk? Like, like, yeah. Um, I was, I like asked a question in class once and and I was really painfully shy as a kid. So I didn't speak out very often. Mm -hmm. And the teacher was like, oh, you can talk (laughs) like in a really nasty kind of way. Oh my goodness. I don't know. It's just kind of like, I felt very othered a lot of the time because I was, uh, I was definitely bullied in middle school quite a bit and a little bit in high school and it never occurred to me that I don't know if it was always distinctly racial mm-hmm. but it was just sort of like I guess it was just like another added layer to why I was different yeah um, and it's like having hobbies having ear quotes white hobbies whatever that means um <laughs> and not looking the part like I always felt like I didn't belong in either world because being with Asian kids is like, what are you talking about? What are you eating? Like, you just like, you don't, you just cannot fit in with one group or another. And as a teenager, you already have trouble with like your self-esteem and like your identity and like, you just add in the whole, you don't belong to either group thing. And that just kind of sounds those feelings right I feel like in high school everyone's trying to fit into a box or labels are so big at that age that when you don't when you're quite literally caught between different you know cultures or different identities or just feeling you know lost in the mix of it all that just makes it that much harder because we're all trying to fit into a box and we're not yeah, I mean, that's exactly that's exactly what it was. Um, I mean, I could have a whole different conversation on, like, bullying and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just, like, I think looking, looking back on it, I kind of realized, like, I had a unique set of circumstances that other people didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that contributed to you know these sort of persisting feelings of like dysphoria in general because I live in the southwest now which is like culturally extremely different from the east coast or New York oh yeah for sure it's almost practically a different country yeah Um, and of course there isn't really like a large Asian population here like Mm -hmm. already um I actually have a funny story from when I was a contractor at this oh yeah at this company Mm -hmm. and it was like this uh, jewelry company and I was hired as a part-time designer 
And I was in the um, like lunch area and like this Asian lady comes up to me. She's like Vietnamese. And she's like, oh, hi. Like she's all friendly. And she's like, oh, are you, are you Vietnamese? And I was like, no. And then she's like, oh, okay. And then she just like walks away. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was really, fu- I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Yeah, no, definitely. I was like, oh, okay. Strangely enough, there is a decent Vietnamese population in, um, in New Mexico. Oh, cool. That's yeah, which, which is what they, I get that. Yeah, there's tons of Vietnamese restaurants and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little bit lonely, you know. I'm just I'm like on an island, just mm-hmm. by myself, <laughs> just like hanging out. This is a side question. Um, I didn't outright ask if you struggle with your identity. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that more. We kind of talked a little bit about it, but. Yeah, I don't mind talking about that. Um, on my identity, I think it's, I think it's evolved a lot, and I think it continues to change. Um, one thing I wanted to discuss a little bit was that uh, I've always considered myself to be like a late bloomer. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm 28 roughly, and I've only just gotten into like this adoptee community and. Mm-hmm. at 23 um or 24 actually right it was like the year after I I graduated I I discovered that I was bisexual mm-hmm. and it was like another kind of crazy self-discovery oh because, yeah um I was like how did I not know my entire life <laughs> like it was just kind of like what yeah um, it's sort of like, I describe it like finding out that you have like a prehensile tail and not only do you have a tail, but you've actually had a tail your whole life and you just didn't know. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's like something that ridiculous. I, I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, one of my favorite movies, by the way, but there's this scene when she's realizing that the main character that she's lesbian she's go everyone's saying like don't you like think that these things are like not the typical and she's like I just thought everybody had those thoughts it's kind of one of those things <laughs> yeah it's like not everybody thinks that about um I've always thought that everybody had like what my friends and I used to call in like middle school and high school a gay celebrity crush but apparently I just also like girls <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was like the norm <laughs> that's funny yeah I mean, things aren't, um, things when I was like 13, 14, people would, you know, say gay jokes and be like, oh, that's gay. You know, they like, people would make fun of you, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like it's more, it's definitely, the culture has definitely shifted a lot since, since I was a teenager. Um, I feel like it's way more acceptable to be bi or gay or trans, Mm -hmm. um, because back when I was growing up, it was definitely like a very like, oh, you're a lesbian. Like that was an insult. Oh, wow. Back in the day. Uh huh. I remember in high school, there were definitely, there was stuff like that. But we also had a, my, one of my favorite moments was one, one of the, the class idiots said like, haha, that's gay. And my teacher ripped him a new one. It was in front of the whole class. We took a full like 10 minute break so she could like grill him and rip into like what exactly he meant by that and it was like that was one of my favorite moments (laughs) that's funny 
Oh man, yeah, some some high schoolers are really dumb. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you had a lot of intersectionality that you were as like as time and time went on, you just kind of became more aware and understanding of like each new part of your identity. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely what it was. I think having a chance to like be on my own and be my own person away from, you know, high school, away from my family, because growing up was very stifling for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just kind of trying to develop into my own person as an adult. I mean, it's been quite the experience for me. I always felt like uh, when I went to college at 18, I felt like everyone else around me had an 18 year head start. Like they had, you know, already discovered aspects of themselves because they were given that room to grow and to breathe and to be themselves. Yeah. I can definitely relate on that aspect. I know for me, when I was growing up, um, my, my dad's half is super Italian and I just feel like Italians it's just this domineering family presence that you just never like can get out from under that influence so I definitely can can relate to like oh like I'm 18 but like I'm a fresh one (laughs) all over again yeah yeah definitely um my family is also Italian um hey Italians (laughs) I I wouldn't say they're like aggressively Italian but um (laughs) But they're pretty Italian. Yeah, even a light Italian is still like, oh yeah, you're you're Italian. Still pretty, still pretty out there. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say. I think it was oh, something. Sorry. I think it was something profound. No, I'm just. Oh, kidding. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you came. Oh. You were. You went to college, eighteen. You felt like you were starting all over, and like, like everyone else had this jump start of being 18 for like for the last 18 years yeah um that's exactly the way I felt uh growing up was super oppressive for me just because of just because of all the dysfunction and chaos in my household um mm-hmm. I'm gonna be like an armchair psychologist and say that my mom has undiagnosed borderline personality disorder um <laughs> that's that's what I think that's my diagnosis for her mm-hmm And it's like, yeah, all of the uh, abuse and neglect I experienced as a child really kind of fucked me up. And it really delayed, I think, a lot of my development and my identity and my sense of self-worth. And I think that's why it's taken me such a long time to, like, come to terms with my identity and, like, my growth and... Yeah, that does. It can kind of like set you back. I'm sorry that that happened. Yeah, and I know like, and I've met other, I've met other adoptees with way sadder stories. I mean, like, there's definitely, I mean, the foster care system in the U.S. is really bad, mm-hmm. and um, I know that unfortunately. There are a lot of adoptees and like people in foster care that are that have experienced a lot of hardship mm-hmm. and like a lot of trauma and a lot of abuse, um, which is really sad. And I wanted to just share a little bit about myself because 
so far, a lot of the Chinese adoptees I've met have had like really great, loving, and supportive families, and I'm really happy for them. But I also know that I think over like something like a hundred thousand Chinese girls have been adopted from China, yeah. Yeah. and I know, unfortunately, I know that there should be some of them that probably don't have great experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just wanted to put my story out there to like let other adoptees know that, hey, I've had it hard too. And, um, you know, growing up wasn't very easy for me. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, here I am trying to reach out to those kinds of people just to let them know that like, they're not alone. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think it's also what we can, as people recognize others have hard or even harder lives than us, but we can still be upset and we can still feel the emotions that we feel from whatever that we've gone through. I feel like, like there's no, there's not a limited amount of love and compassion out there. And there's not a limited amount of you know, hardships that we as humans can go through and everything can be valid without having to like, I I feel at least especially for me that I I constantly tell myself, oh, I like other people have it worse to, and it it invalidates what I'm feeling and what other, what I'm experiencing. But as I'm getting older, I try to tell myself, yes, other people have it worse, but I'm still allowed to feel upset about what I'm going through. And I think that that is like a really important thing for everybody. Yeah, that's especially important for adoptees who, you know, we're often told that we should be grateful or that we're lucky that we were adopted. And that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nobody wants to be like an illiterate factory worker in China, but that doesn't mean like you don't have problems or that you can't feel what you're feeling. Yeah. We don't owe our parents any more than any other child owes their parents you know we don't we we were babies we don't have like there's no need for us to put ourselves in negative debt to life from the start just because people chose to adopt us yeah no different than people choosing to birth their baby you know we're all starting out as babies and we're all just at this we're all on equal playing fields in my opinion when it comes to that part (laughs) I completely I completely agree with that statement it's like when you adopt a kid you know that's you're making that choice it's not like that baby chose you you know yeah they didn't choose to be abandoned for whatever reason exactly Um, and so people have to be you know mindful of the fact that we didn't have a choice to be here we just are Mm mm-hmm we're just all trying to make it in the world like the rest of everybody. Yeah. So what was there anything in particular that drew you into getting more involved in the adoptee community? You mentioned that you started to join Facebook groups um, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I joined uh, CCI and then there was also FCCNY. Um, and they I just saw on their on their Facebook group that they were having Zoom calls. So I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, subscribed to the newsletter and um, I've been going to a few, like a couple of Zoom calls 
and I was a part of like this uh, Reddit community for adoptees in general. Nice. But then there was one started specifically for Chinese adoptees, and then someone started a Discord, and I joined the Discord, and it's just been going like that ever since. Definitely like a snowball. It sounds like, like, just like yeah, it's just like a snowball. <laughs> <laughs> I know for me, I joined one of, I was in the subtle Asian traits, you know, the one that's all over the world. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, I, my friend told me about subtle Asian adoptee traits. And then from there, it was just like you. I just kept joining group after group, after page, after Discord, after Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it's just like a fun thing for me to do. Yeah. Um, and it's like, like the discord that I'm most engaged in is uh, I'm, I'm a part of a couple of different discords that aren't very related, but the most, the one I'm always interested in is the adoptee discord, because I feel like uh, there's always something like relevant that's being shared or interesting that someone mm. has to say. That sounds really cool. Actually. I like, I like things like that. I'm in, I'm a really big discord person, so I'm always like looking for new uh, channels to join. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the one I'm in is called Adoptees Unite. Oh, cool. Yeah, you can find the link on the Chinese Adoptees subreddit. I will have to check that out. Thank you. There's not not that many posts on that subreddit, so you'll find it pretty easily. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So you mentioned that you didn't really do a whole lot when you were growing up with, you know, your culture or your native language or anything like that. Now that you've gotten older, have you tried to connect with that? Or are you still kind of just dipping your toes in with everything? Um, let's see. I actually took like an intro Mandarin class, like for children. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, my senior year in college, like literally there were children in that class. And I was just yeah. like, okay. <laughs> um, but it was fascinating to learn a little bit about Mandarin. I don't know if I have the fortitude to commit to learning Mandarin right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I would definitely have to do like an immersion trip or something. Yeah. Like I would probably have to live in China for like a year to really pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I have a fascination with and I feel like coming into my own as an adult, like I'm more, I'm more and more proud of being like an Asian American and more proud of being you know an adoptee nice yeah I just feel like fuck it I'll eat with chopsticks whatever yes always chopsticks (laughs) you know like I have a pair of metal ones that I always just eat with and I'm like if someone's judging me screw them you know yeah like whatever um yeah it's like I I want to just kind of I spent a lot of time as a kid just so, you know, anxious and in my head about what other people think of me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as I grow older, I sort of care less about that. It sounds like a really big, like, turning point for your your self-discovery. And I'm really happy that you're going through that. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, people are familiar with... uh, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also something called post-traumatic growth um, in which something very traumatizing happens to you, but you actually grow from it. Um, And 
a therapist I had in college, she was a Chinese woman, actually. Her name was Joan. And during my conversations with her, she like gave me a Chinese name and she said oh. it would be, uh, it'd be Meihua, uh, which is plum blossom. And she said, you remind me of a plum blossom because plum blossoms only bloom in winter. Um, so I always think about that. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's like, I know there's a, like a lot of uh, anti-Asian, anti-Chinese sentiment right now. And that's really yeah. sad. Um, <laughs> that's really unfortunate. But it's like, I don't know. I I grew up so kind of ashamed of being Asian. And mm -hmm. I don't think I realized that I was ashamed. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think I was. I think, you know, the larger American culture kind of teaches you to be ashamed if you're not like everyone else. Absolutely. And uh, I feel like, you know, very recently, the Asian American community has really raised its voice and like, spoken up for itself yeah I would I would have to agree I feel like we were just like before all this started we were just celebrating like you know crazy witch Asians and then that steamrolled into always be my maybe and that steamrolled into you know parasite and there was just this growing wave of pride in being Asian yeah that's I don't want to lose that steam that's exactly how I feel it's like you know a lot of the time um Asians in media they're just either not there or they're just kind of ridiculed um mm -hmm. and so it's like as an Asian American you can feel like you're being erased like you don't exist like you're not there um but I think I think it's good for the larger community the Asian community and the adoptee community to to speak out and to be like hey we're here you know? Yeah, totally. Here and proud. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a really, that's you talking about how, you know, when you were little, you were ashamed and kind of, it's natural for us to want to reject the things that are causing us internal, like turmoil or, you know, causing us pain, like, especially, you know, something like getting picked on or bullied by your classmates. But I think it's really awesome. It's really powerful that, you know, from that you turned it around in yourself and found your voice and found pride in, you know, your identity and just being authentic to who you want to be without like worrying about what those people are saying. I think that that is such a powerful transformation to go through. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think um, connecting with, my Chinese identity and like my adoptee identity has been like the one area I've just been avoiding my entire life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like the giant elephant in the room. Um, yeah. And I feel like it's important to go, to go back to the source of things, to go back to the beginning as mm -hmm. it were. Yeah. And I think that's why I, I think that's why I want to go back to China someday, even though that'll be like probably emotionally exhausting, but. Oh yeah. But that is a, that's definitely a dream of mine to go back. Definitely. I think you should, you know, once, once we can travel again, <laughs> once they let yeah. us out of 
you know, America. That would definitely be amazing. Do you know, would you want to visit like the place that you were found or do you know what you'd want to do? Yeah, I want to be like a total tourist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like go visit all the touristy things. But um, I also want to go back to Nanjing uh, and back to back to my orphanage just to kind of check it out. Yeah. I know. Maybe I'll do like an art project on it or something. That would be awesome. That would be really cool. Release all those emotions through your art. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I'm in a similar kind of feeling. I want to do like my emotional, I'm going to cry a whole bunch and I'm going to feel a lot of things. And then I also like want to go see the Great Wall and I want to go see the pandas. I'm like, yeah. that is exactly what I want to do I want to be like I'm in the forbidden city yeah like with a selfie like right (laughs) something silly like that one of my friends said that he he's not an adoptee um he said he'll totally go with me for the really fun one but he's probably not the guy to go with on the the emotional discovery one I'm like yeah Yeah, no that's that's fair we'll we'll separate the trips and then it'll be good yeah yeah I feel like Oh, it'd be great if uh, maybe there's like a group or something that I could go with. <laughs> yeah, I always thought about like, find maybe like there's other adoptees from Anway where we could go and travel together so we can kind of have that underlying understanding of what we're all experiencing without it being like uncomfortable or having to explain it, you know? Maybe there's something like that for like uh, Nanjing for you. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, yeah, I looked at like a few Chinese heritage trip things, but they're all, I think, for students or you have to bring your parent. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'll pass. Yeah, I want to take that. That's a, that's a, not a self-discovery trip I would nothing against you know my parents but that I need to do this for myself yeah yeah do you have any additional resources that you wanted to share with our listeners or me I'm always up for a good reader listen yeah so the original book I mentioned before primal wound understanding the adopted child by Nancy Newton mm-hmm. uh that's on Amazon of course uh uh, Adoptees On by Haley Radke. That's like a broader adoptee podcast that I first discovered and is interesting to listen to. Oh, cool. And then a new podcast that I haven't had a chance to listen to very much, but Language Relearning by Jay Bates, which is um, a podcast for um, adoptees wanting to learn their native language. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I think it, it just started and Jay Bates only knows Mandarin, so he's just teaching Mandarin right now. That I've always said I want like a second chance Chinese school for like my older self who like totally should have gone to Chinese school but rejected it when I was a kid and that sounds like the perfect like <laughs> way to yeah. do that. It's a good like passive learning thing. Oh yeah. That's awesome. I'll have to check it out. And thanks again, Mia, for coming on the podcast and talking with me and you know, really opening up about all of this stuff. It means a lot. Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Amy. Uh, That means a lot to me. (laughs) Of course. Um, And then everybody listening, thank you for listening to another episode of Somewhere Between. If you're interested in participating in one of our episodes, 
please email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam and stay connected with updates, casting calls, and a bunch of other stuff. Thank you.